Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in a series called All In. Everyone say All In. And we have been discussing what it looks like for our church to be all in on being a church. We're all attending church today, but what would it look like for us to be the church everywhere we go? And so we have decided that we will be a church that lives out an authentic faith, that develops healthy and strong relationships, and gives every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. What would our community look like if we lived this out? If we lived out an authentic faith, that our faith would live and breathe outside of Sundays, but into our Mondays and Tuesdays and through the rest of the week. If we had an authentic faith so that when we got challenged or when we got discouraged or fearful or afraid, maybe one or many of us experienced one of those emotions this last week. You were challenged, you were disappointed, you were afraid, or you were angry. How many one of those applied to you? What would it look like for us to dig deep into our faith in those moments so that when we're discouraged, we all of a sudden own an eternal timeline? Say, Lord, I am discouraged by this temporary setback in my life, but I understand that you own eternity, and you know all the days of my life. So in this moment, I choose my faith over this discouragement. Uh, What would it look like when we're angry Uh, Just to pause, boy, I was driving yesterday, and for a split second, I got angry. You can ask Libby about it after church. And right in the moment, I thought, my goodness, and I apologized to Libby. I said a prayer of forgiveness, and I just thought, how quickly our attitudes can change where everything is going well, and all of a sudden, a driver not to be named, I wouldn't know their name, actually, Just did something so, and it just turned my attitude so quickly. What's an authentic faith look like when we're in that moment where we get angry or when we're challenged? It means that we live and breathe a faith that we don't attend, but that is part of us, right? That is part of our every single day. Uh, What would it look like for you to be a family, a couple, an individual, a teenager that develops healthy and strong relationships? So when someone hurts you, you run towards forgiveness rather than blocking them out of your life. Where you run with the gospel of peace, Paul describes, rather than eliminating that person from your life. Because in friendships and relationships, we are going to get hurt, right? And we're also going to be the one hurting people. It's in our nature. We're broken. This is part of who we are. And so what would it look like for us to develop healthy and strong relationships that can withstand hurts, that can withstand moments of difficulty? And then what would it look like for us to be a place and a people that gives people the every opportunity to meet Jesus? This is what we're going to be passionate about. And as we have done so, we've talked about a church being a place that you belong We've talked about uh, what makes up healthy churches is healthy members. Today, a little bit of a different message. We're going to talk about this. Healthy churches have healthy leadership. Say that phrase with me. Healthy churches have healthy leadership. 
So today's going to be different. I don't know if I'm going to inspire and rah-rah you out into the world today. Today's going to be instructional. We're going to look at what Scripture describes as healthy leadership. And then if you would, today's a very long prayer request. It's a prayer request for our church. That God would allow the leaders in place to be healthy leaders now but that God would also give us the wisdom and the discretion to seek out healthy leaders in our church going forward. So I'm not going to answer all your questions about healthy leadership. So this is where that green card becomes very important today or the comment section or the message button if you're watching online. As we go through what healthy leadership looks like in our church, if I don't address a specific topic uh, and you want to know the answer, please write it down in the comment card on the connect card, uh, send a message or a comment. And when I find the answer to that question, I'll let you know. Uh, but we won't address everything about it, but we're going to give some outlines on what healthy leadership looks like. So churches have existed since the early church, and the organized American church as we know it has several different kinds of structures. There's uh, different kinds of leadership. There's a congregational-led churches where the congregations have a say-so in every decision. Uh, they decide. They help decide on hiring. They help decide on budget. They help decide on what ministries are going to go forward. They help decide on all the, the, the little details. And in that type of setting, there's a lot of congregational meetings and you vote and, and the majority wins. And in that kind of scenario, the, congregational, uh, the congregation leads. The pastors and the leadership structure serve the wishes of the congregation. Uh, there's pastor-led churches where... The leadership structure is single in leadership, and one person decides the vision and the mission of the church. One person decides the budget. One person decides uh, the resources. One person describes the ministry. That's a pastor, an individual, a pastor-led church. Uh, We have what's called an elder-led church. We believe in the plurality of leadership. We believe that in the New Testament, this gives us a good and healthy model to make sure that Uh, We hold each other accountable. So the elders in our church are responsible for the spiritual direction of the church. So simply put, the elders are the shepherds of the church. They help guide, they direct, and they lead. And throughout the course of time, and especially when you look at the Bible, God has provided shepherds to his people, right? Uh, What shepherds can you think of in the Bible? Actual shepherds or maybe metaphorical shepherds to God's people in the Bible, Moses was a shepherd. He was a leader. You remember the story in uh, Exodus where uh, God chose this one person, Moses, to lead the people out of uh, Egypt. So Moses was a shepherd. Who else was a shepherd? David was the most famous, right? He was an actual shepherd. He graduated and became a fugitive for a while. And then he became the king, right? This was God's chosen king, for Israel. There's other uh, shepherds as well. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament, Samuel was a, a shepherd, a leader for Israel before they had a king. Um, Deborah was one of the judges in the Old Testament. There was a period of time where there was no king, but there was, uh, there was, there was kings, but there was judges that spoke on behalf of God and they helped shepherd, they helped lead. So for the past um, 
year and a half or so, our elders have taken time to study and gain from Scripture the answers to these three questions. And we're going to talk about them today. What qualifies someone to be an elder in our church? What is the goal of an elder at our church? And how will an elder practically serve at First Christian Church? So again, it's an instructional message. It's one long prayer request. We'll have a special time of prayer at the end. Uh, let me do, say a quick word about vocabulary. We're all probably using different uh, translations of the Bible. I'm going to read primarily from the NIV this morning. Uh, In Scripture and in some of the verses we read, you're going to see the word elder and overseer used interchangeably. And Paul does that, or, or the translators do that because those words are synonymous in the New Testament Greek. So if you're reading a translation and I say elder and you say overseer, we're saying the same word with two different expressions, okay? So first, what qualifies someone to be an elder? Here's our first question. So to answer this question, we're going to go to three different authors in the New Testament. Or actually, three different books, two different authors. We're going to look at the book of 1 Timothy, Titus, and from Peter. Now, Paul wrote the letters to Timothy and to Titus. Uh, Timothy was a, a person who grew up in a Jewish, with a Jewish mom and a Greek father. Uh, he was a young pastor. He served in Ephesus. So when you look at uh, the, the, the letter to Timothy, Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus, the new pastor. And when you read the book of Ephesians, you can picture Timothy as the pastor there. Uh, they met when Paul was on his second missionary journey, and he became Paul's companion. He traveled and trained with Paul. The other uh, gentleman where uh, Paul wrote a letter to that we're going to read is called Titus. Uh, Titus was an early missionary and church leader. He served in Crete, and he had to battle a lot of Crete culture. Um, he was a Gentile that was converted to Christianity. And then, of course, we have Peter. Peter was one of the 12 disciples. Uh, who's prominent in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. So, in your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 or open your outline. We're going to read a few verses from there and a few verses from Titus, and then we're going to dive into answering this question, what qualifies someone to be an elder? So here's the text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Now, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert. Or he might be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, Paul then writes the letter to Titus, another young pastor. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. Same translation, Uh, Timothy, uh, he's referred to an overseer. Look at verse 6 in Titus. Uh, Paul, uh, the translation goes, an elder here. So an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, 
one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the true, trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So it's interesting, we have two different letters, Paul writing both of them. And if you kind of take these two passages together, there's a lot of similarities, right? There's, uh, there's mention about his home. There's mention about um, not being uh, violent. There's mention about drunkenness. Be, uh, there's mention about faithfulness. So uh, for the last year and a half or so, our elders have taken these texts and the one in Peter we're going to look at shortly. And we just kind of looked at it and developed, what does it look like? What is a qualification for someone to be an elder, a shepherd, a leader uh, for our church as it's described biblically? So um, to answer these, we're going to go through A, B, C, D. You'll see those in your notes, A, B, C, D. So first, first uh, qualification is this, someone with a strong reputation with God's people and in the community. I think it's fascinating that when Paul describes an elder, an overseer to both Timothy and to Titus, he really desires someone, as God uh, inspired him to write these letters, he desired someone who's going to be respectable in God's house, but also in the community. It's fascinating to me that the community has a small part in affirming who becomes an elder. Now, if you look through uh, Ephesian and Titus, our Cretan culture, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, in fact, the Wikipedia pages were very helpful to me. But if you look at Ephesus and Crete, and you look at ancient Cretan culture and ancient Ephesian culture, it becomes really, really apparent why this was so important. Ephesian culture had the Diana, had the goddess Diana, and they were involved in abhorrent worship. They would sacrifice children. They had... Uh, portions of their worship that were just detestable in any setting, let alone in a sacred setting. When you go to Crete and you look at Titus and the culture he had to deal with, you're looking at Cretan culture who, um, who worshipped and adored Zeus. And if you know anything about Zeus or read anything about Zeus, Zeus was a womanizer. He abused women. And so that culture, when you worship someone who uh, personifies that kind of abuse, it actually runs rampant in your own culture. And so for Paul, it was very important that not only is this person going to be respectable within our house, also respectable within the community. There's several different ways uh, Paul asserts this uh, reputation. Um, so a couple of notes you can put there. Someone, um, a strong reputation, so someone who is respected. Look at verse 2. He says this in 1 Timothy 3. An overseer or an elder is to be above reproach. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable. First uh, Timothy uh, three verse four: Man he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Verse seven says this: He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So it was very important. So I, I mentioned that this is a really long prayer request. This is what we're looking for in elders in our church. Someone who is respected. So as you pray for our church, and I hope you do regularly, and you pray for myself and for Darren and our existing elders, 
it's, it's important that we live up to this standard, that we are respectable in God's house and in our community. But it's also a prayer that you would ask us to open up our eyes to the individuals in our church that would one day become elders, someone who's respected. He goes on to say someone who is self-controlled. Uh, look at verse 2 again, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. An overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Look at these next two descriptions. Temperate and self-controlled. Personally, I think it's a great thing that we have leadership that would be self-controlled. Because the other option is to have leaders that are not in control. They're not in control of their emotions. They're not in control of their uh, liquor. They're not in control of their finances. They're not in control of their, uh, their tempers. That would be a a horrible place to have leaders who are not in control of those things. Um, so someone who is self-controlled, look at how else he describes this uh, self-controlled. Verse 3, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. In other words, look at verse uh, 7, an overseer uh, manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. So we're talking about people to be uh, people who would be self-controlled with what they consume. Um, it's interesting because in the New Testament, of all the vices that existed, Paul calls out drunkenness with uh, specificity. Self-control, of course, is a fruit and a hallmark of the Holy Spirit. And in short, this being uh, spirit-filled means that we are self-controlled. So if the Holy Spirit reigns in our life, we don't fly off and have a temper. If the Holy Spirit reigns in our life, we're not given to drunkenness. If the Holy Spirit reigns in our life, we're not violent, right? So Paul says when you go and identify leaders in the church, make sure that they're respectable, make sure that they're uh, in control. Uh, there's a famous... Um, I don't know if it's famous. It, well, I didn't know it when I read it. So it's just a proverb. It's a Recorded proverb from Swahili that says this, when the elephants fight, the grass is trampled. So when a church's shepherds are combative and aggressive, it's the sheep who get hurt. It's everybody else who gets hurt. So elders shouldn't be bullies physically or emotionally, but we should be gentle and have our strength under restraint. Uh, we should be self-controlled in our finances. Um, these descriptions don't mean an elder has transcended sin. Because if you, if you read uh, 1 Timothy and Titus, you can kind of get the impression that Paul really wants perfect people to be elders. And it's really hard for us not to fight, or to fight that, uh, that perception. What Paul is asking for is leaders who are free from conspicuous sin. And we might assume that the most important characteristic for an elder would be skill running an organization or um, um, good with money or management ability. And while that might be a part of it as an overseer, the New Testament writers put a far greater emphasis on our character than any of our abilities. So Jesus' under-shepherds must reflect Jesus' character. So it needs to be someone who is... Uh, respectable, someone who is self-controlled, and then someone who is kind and generous. Uh, look at Titus chapter 1, verse 8. Rather, he must be hospitable. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2, 
uh, overseers to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. I think it's interesting that the leaders of the early church were required to be people who were kind, compassionate, people that would open up their homes and have people come in to share a meal with. That, uh, it's been said that the root word of hospitable is, what's the other word you see in there? Hospital, right? And a hospital is a place you go for healing. That that's what happens when you're hospitable with one to another. You provide healing emotionally for one to another. So these, this is what it means to have a strong reputation, not only in God's house, but in the community. Someone who is respected, someone who is self-controlled, someone who is kind and generous. So that's the A, a strong reputation. Uh, B would, this, would be this, someone who is biblically mature and knowledgeable. Biblically mature and knowledgeable. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2 says this, uh, the overseer is to be, it gives all of these uh, characteristics, and the last one is what? Able to teach. He goes on in verse 6 to say this, he must not be a recent convert, or he may be deceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Titus says it this way, he must be hospitable, but one who loves what is good, upright, holy. Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So why does Paul put an emphasis on not being a recent convert? Well, I think this makes sense, but as we talk it out, what ends up happening is this. Someone comes to Christ uh, in the early church and they are, uh, they are passionate about becoming followers of Jesus Christ and what would happen is they would immediately take that passion and they would place them in positions of authority. Now, what ended up happening to those uh, early Christians who were placed in places of authority when they weren't ready for it is they didn't have the depth of knowledge of the Scripture in order to make sound fundamental decisions. And then also to be able to teach well, to be able to pass along what he has learned, what she has learned. And so it's important for someone who is an elder to be biblically mature and knowledgeable, someone who is not a recent convert. Uh, you say, Daniel, how long does it take for someone not to be a recent convert? Well, I will say this. There's probably people in our church who have attended for 10, 15, 20 years who are still recent converts because there isn't that depth of biblical knowledge. What Paul is emphasizing is not the chronological time that you have been a follower, but the depth of biblical maturity that's in you. So, someone who's biblically mature, uh, Paul says it this way, someone who loves what is good, upright, and holy, someone who's able to teach. Um, now, this one is uh, interesting because the early church didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have Sunday school classes, not that I know of anyway. Uh, they, had, uh, they had gatherings. If you look at Acts chapter 2 through about 7, well, where you will find the local church is wherever the people went. They went from house to house. They, they gathered in people's homes. They shared meals with one another. And so they grew in the knowledge of Scripture every time they were around with one another. So what does it look like to teach someone in the early church? What does it look like now? Well, now we have this idea that it has to be someone who can uh, get up on a stage and uh, deliver a lesson. And in the early church, it was much simpler than that. It was someone who could pass along what they had learned. Um, 
Look at verse 9 again. He says this, someone who holds firmly the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so then he can encourage others by sound doctrine. It's the idea of have you learned from God the principles in Scripture, and can you pass along those principles to someone else? Um, not a recent convert, someone who's able to pass along what he's been taught, someone who is biblically mature. I think you would all agree with me that if we had people as elders who were not biblically mature or knowledgeable, uh, our leadership would be weak. Amen? We need to have people who are biblically mature and knowledgeable. So, a strong reputation, biblically mature, C is for committed to his family, his church family, to God. Someone who's committed. So you see the overtures here all throughout 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, verse 2 says this, faithful to his wife. Uh, verse 4 says this, manage the family. Uh, have his children, see that his children obey him. Do so, uh, parents in, in a way, do so in a manner worthy of full respect. He throws in this caveat, if someone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's children? Verse 6 uh, faithful again, children who believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. You think Paul is thinking of specific kids in the early Cretan church when he's writing this? I kind of get the idea he is. I kind of get the idea that there are parents who they themselves are followers of Jesus Christ, but have failed to pass along what it looks like to be followers to their kids. And there are kids who are open to the charge being wild and disobedient. What does this mean? Um, this is a touchy subject. Um, we, have, uh, we have asked people to be elders before in our church, and they have declined based on this basis because they have grown children who simply don't believe in the faith anymore. We have other, uh, I, not in this church, but in other contexts, I have uh, approached people about serving and leadership, and they have declined because they have no kids whatsoever. And they interpret this passage to mean that you must have kids in order to be in leadership. Um, what this means, what I believe it means, what our elders have rallied around is this, that if you have a family, that you are committed to your family. That you are raising your family, your kids, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That they obey you and that you parent in a way uh, worthy of full respect. If you have grown children at that point, they are capable and uh, able to make decisions for their own when it comes to their faith, when it comes to the way they live their lives. And they are not now subject to you as children anymore. They're now uh, colleagues, if you will, raising their own families. And again, this becomes very, very touchy and typically, this is easier to talk about when there's a specific scenario we could walk through. So there, if there is a specific scenario for you and you're like, well, I wonder if this disqualifies so-and-so or if this disqualifies me, uh, write that down on the Connect card. Let's spend some time praying about it. Let's spend some time digging in Scripture uh, about it. American society paints a bright line between public and private, work and home. And we evaluate business leaders in America on their ability to increase profits and meet company goals, but very rarely do we include the quality of their personal life. And so in America, the business world, the leader's home, children, marriage, is no one's business. 
But scripture is very clear that in the family of God, an elder's home matters greatly. And so marriage and parenting act as a proving ground for elder fitness. It talks about children who obey. I don't believe this, produce, this precludes childless candidates from being an elder, uh, nor does it exclude, exclude someone whose children are not grown or are grown and out of the house who choose to um, abandon their faith. I think the kind of questions we're asking when we talk about someone who is committed to their family is this, are the children um, being instructed in the Bible and in the gospel? And that is the atmosphere in the home nurturing and orderly or is it toxic and chaotic? So someone who is committed to their family. D is for this, someone who desires to be an elder. You know, you don't have to be an elder if you don't want to. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1 says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. 1 Peter says it this way. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. You must want to serve as an elder. And the reason that these qualifications are so important is because at the end of the day, it needs to be something that God affirms in your heart and you do want to do, that you want to serve the body. These are important qualifications because it's foundation, because it's the foundation to fulfill the goal of an elder. So here's the one sentence goal of an elder. What is a goal of an elder? Well, biblically, the goal of an elder is to ensure that our church family is growing into spiritual maturity. You say, I thought it was the, they were supposed to take care of the building. Well, no. I thought they were supposed to take care of the finances. Well, it's part of being an overseer. But here's the primary goal and objective of an elder, is that our church family is growing into spiritual maturity. Look at Colossians 1. It says this, he is the one we proclaim. Colossians 1 is all about Jesus. It's one of my favorite chapters. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The goal of an elder at our church, and biblically speaking, is to make sure that we're growing into spiritually spiritual maturity. Okay, so how will an elder practically serve at First Christian Church? You guys still with me? All right. Again, this is way more instructional than a normal Sunday morning, but it's important that we set the table. Um, now, we said that the elder, that God has used shepherds all throughout history. Now, a shepherd works with what? Sheep. Guess who are the sheep? So when we, when we clarify how an elder practically serves at First Christian, we're going to use this terminology, sheep, um, so don't be offended by it, because God looks at us as sheep, right? So how does an elder practically serve at First Christian? First and foremost, we will smell like sheep. Some of you are shaking your head, it's okay. We're going to smell like sheep. What does it mean to smell like sheep? So for us at First Christian Church, that means this. It's vitally important that our elders are in relationship 
with our church family. Our elders are not on pedestals where they only meet with one another and they never interact with our church family. Our elders will smell like sheep. We will be with our church family. It'll be, uh, it'll be relational. Uh, we will be in life with you. That means when you are going through a heartache, we want to be right beside you and go through that heartache. When you are celebrating something, we want to be right next to that person and to be able to celebrate. We will be in relationship with our church family. I want you to think about a literal shepherd. I should have had a picture, but I don't. A literal shepherd. But in that image that you're thinking of the shepherd, typically the shepherd is near the sheep watching over them. And then when necessary, the shepherd goes into the herd. It goes into the herd and uh, in the midst of the animals, touching them, speaking them, living with them, smelling like them. When you think about Jesus in the Gospels, I love to just read and to, uh, to, to picture how Jesus went about his life in the Gospels. But he was with people. And he was not always with the righteous people. In fact, he never was. He spent the majority of his time with people that needed a Savior. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but after spending time with Nicodemus, the very next chapter, after spending time with the religious elite in the middle of the night, the very next chapter, he's spending time with the Samaritan woman. You go all through the Gospels and you look at where Jesus was, who he talked to, who he had meals with, and it was with people who needed a Savior. So we will smell like sheep. We will pray for them. We will be with them. And when you think about God, Jesus in the Gospels, he was with people. He wasn't far off. He was right there with them. So first and foremost, say it with me. We will smell like sheep. Right? We will smell like sheep. We're going to be with our church family. That's what it means. We're going to be with people. Secondly is this. We will care for the sheep. We will care for the sheep. You're going to have to rewind it on the live stream, bro, and just go back to the last five minutes. We will care for the sheep. We will find the needs of our people by having good, close relationships. We will identify and pursue people that have strayed away from the flock. We will pray relentlessly for our flock. We will love them. We will reach out to them. We will care for the sheep. It's easy in church leadership to get sidelined with the building and the finances and the reports. But what we have tried to do for the last year and a half, especially as gathering looked different and as we weren't able to have all of our normal points of contact, we have done our very best to ask ourselves, what does it look like to lead and to shepherd this church? And we are convinced that it means caring for sheep. It means finding the needs of our people by having good, close relationships. It means identifying and pursuing people that who have been strays. Jesus told a story about a shepherd who would leave the 90 and 9 and go pursue the one. It didn't mean that he didn't love the 90 and 9, but that he would go and care for the one to make sure the one was uh, in the fold like the other. So we're going to care for the sheep. Uh, thirdly, we are going to feed the sheep. It's the shepherd's job to feed the sheep. We will give spiritual food by teaching and explaining the word. We will engage in one-on-one -on -one discipling relationships to encourage growth. And the gift of teaching comes in a variety of strengths and packages. 
It isn't confined by a Sunday morning gathering or even to a Bible study, but it's the ability to learn something and to pass it along. You know how I learned to cook? It was not in a class. Actually, I did take home ec. I think we made pizza in high school. I learned how to cook being right next to my mom growing up. And I would watch what she would do, and she never measured a thing, right? The palm of her hand measured everything, and she'd use this much turmeric and this much chili powder and this much curry and that many, whatever. And I just stood right next to her, and I just watched, and I listened, and I learned, and she taught me. She never handed out a syllabus. She never asked me to take notes, but I learned how to cook from my mom. Over the years, over the course of your lifetime, you've learned how to do something from people that weren't confined to the role of a teacher. Your friends have taught you things. Your kids have taught you things, right? And most of the time, all of that learning happens in the context of one-on-one relationships. So as elders, we're going to feed the sheep. It might be on a Sunday morning. It might be during a class. It might be while we're golfing. It might be while we're fishing. It might be while we're over a meal and I share with you or you share with me something. It will be in the context of one-on-one relationships. Fourthly, this morning, we will protect the sheep. A shepherd's duty is to protect the sheep, to make sure there is no predator that is coming near the sheep. We will provide spiritual oversight. We will not avoid confrontation. We will lean in when is necessary. We will encourage and run towards reconciliation and forgiveness. And we will fight off threats to those who would harm us or distract us. Predators hunt sheep. And so just as shepherds ward off lions, wolves, so must elders ward off false teaching and false teachers. As elders, we must be alert for people or ideas that would distort the gospel or twist the Bible. So we need prayers to fulfill this goal. Shepherds are called to smell like sheep. They are in relationship with them. We're called to care for the sheep, to feed, and to protect the sheep. I want to end in 1 Peter. This is probably my favorite passage on elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 4. says this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Once you just look at this verse, let's take this apart. Who is Peter talking to? According to this verse, who is he talking to? Yeah, he's talking to the elders. To the elders among you. He identifies himself as two two different ways. First, he identifies himself as what? A fellow elder. So Peter is writing from experience. He is actively someone, as he's writing this, someone who smells like, who cares for, who feeds, and who protects the sheep. But he's also writing as someone else. As who? He's a witness of Christ's sufferings. So uh, Peter is writing from this unique perspective that he was there. He was there with Jesus. He saw the betrayal by Judas. He saw the uh, beatings on Christ. He was there and he denied Christ three times. He was in that moment. He saw Jesus on the cross. He's a witness of Christ's suffering. And then he also says this, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He's talking about 
Well, one day we will have the, the joyous occasion of entering into the presence of God. Look at verse 2. So he's writing to elders. Here's his charge. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. He explains how to do this. First, watching over them, not because you must. I don't know about you, but I would not want to uh, put someone in a position to be leading and to help guide and shepherd our church if they did not want to do it. If they, wanted to, if they did not want to do it, if it was against their desire, we don't want to put people in that position. Uh, nor because you must, where they feel obligated to do so. But why? Because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain. What does that mean? That means that we use our position of leadership to manipulate relationships. To say, well, you know, I'm an elder. You should probably come to my business. This is what was happening in the early church. That they were using their positions of leadership to manipulate relationships. Pursuing dishonest gain. It's not just financial, but dishonest approval. Dishonest uh, accolade. This is what Peter is warning against. But look at that last phrase. Eager to serve. I'd love for a host of you today to take 1 Peter 5, 1-4 and pray for these kind of elders to be known in our church that our existing elders would be eager to serve, and then the one that God calls us in the next few years would also be eager to serve. Look at verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted you. Wouldn't that be an uncomfortable experience to have someone lording up over their, their position over you, but be examples to the flock? And when the chief shepherd appears... So he's talking about who? He's talking about Christ. We are the under-shepherds for Jesus here uh, in, uh, on earth. But when the chief, shepherds appear, chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I want you to visualize the shepherd this morning and visualize the sheep. Imagine the shepherd, he's with them, he's smelling like them, he's leading them, he's guiding them, he's caring for them, he's feeding them, he's leading them to green pastures and cool waters, making sure they're well fed, and then also keeping a protective eye over them. And the shepherd does all of this for what goal? The goal is to produce mature, full-grown, healthy sheep that will reproduce. And as elders in this church, we have a similar goal. We We will work hard in our relationships with our church in order to help them grow up in Jesus. We want to teach, pray, and serve so that brothers and sisters might know Jesus more intimately, obey him more faithfully, and reflect his character more clearly, both individuals and as a church. So I would ask that you pray for us. You pray for Darren, myself, and the current elders. I pray that we would be, I ask that you would pray that we would be the elders that God has described for those of you who have been in our church for any length of time, you know that our elders have, many of them have served for years and 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 years. So part of this prayer request is this. I have been, for how long, Jay? 60? For 60 years, Jay has served faithfully. Part of the prayer for me and the prayer request I have for you 
is something I've prayed for the last six years as pastor here is this, that God would bring a generation of elders and leaders within our church to help us go into the next 60 years, to take what Jay and uh, Russ Hopkins and Russ Nelkison and others who have invested so much in our church over the decades that a new group of elders and shepherds and leaders would come alongside them and say, I'm eager to serve. Not lording this position over anyone, but to serve, to smell like sheep, to care for us, to feed, and to protect us. So I hope you would join me in that prayer that over the coming years, God will reveal himself to us and show us what that new group of leadership looks like. Uh, would you pray? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we consider our church and we consider going all in, Father, it's our desire to be a church that lives out an authentic faith. Father, we want to do this. We want to live an authentic faith. That We want to be able to go through every single day and week and month of our life with a faith that is so renewed in who you are. And that means digging in scripture. That means praying and having an intimate, close relationship with you. That means not being hypocritical with our words or our actions. Forgiving when we are called to do so. That means loving when we're called to do so. That means being generous. All of those things. We want to be a church that lives out in authentic faith. Lord, we want to be a church that develops healthy and strong relationships. And part of caring and developing those relationships is a set-apart group of leaders and elders that will shepherd us well. So, for, Father, for a moment, I want to pray a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving to the elders who have so served us so generously and graciously and faithfully over the years. I thank you for Jay Jones, for Russ Nelson, for Russ Hopkins, for Steve Wicker, who served for 10 years, for Dean Soper, who has served for many years, for Arlene Skogzet, who has shepherded us so well. Father, we, um, we're grateful for the leadership you have provided here. And yet, Father, we recognize that we are in a moment and a season as a church where we need to begin to identify what the next generation of shepherds and elders look like. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's someone here or someone watching that you are speaking to to say, it's time to serve. So, Father, we pray for elders with strong reputations in our church and in the community. Father, would you make known to us those who are respected, who are self-controlled, who are kind and generous, who would be able to lead us with care and kindness and compassion. Father, would you make known to us those elders who are biblically mature and knowledgeable, who know scripture, who love what is good, who are upright holy and disciplined. Those who have held firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that they can encourage others and refute those who would oppose it. Father, would you make known to us those who are committed to their family, their church family, those who have been faithful to their spouse, 
those who have managed and parented and loved their family well, worthy of full respect. Father, would you raise up a generation that desire to serve, that are eager to serve. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.